Amen. While it is still fresh and you are still fresh enough to receive it. Matthew chapter 13, just one portion of scripture. Chapter 13, verse 44. Let me set that up for you just a second here. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has a crowd gathered together. And he has got such a large crowd that he's had to get himself out on a boat. The boat that Christian was talking about today. He's got himself out on a boat and he's put himself out into the water so that he, his voice can be heard. It's, it's a biblical day microphone that he's using, water. <laughs> about a month ago, we were in Wisconsin on vacation and I did a little kayaking and I went out on Lake Michigan. It's massive. You can't see across it. I've never been on a lake that large. I decided to do a little fishing, and so I grabbed my fishing pole, hopped in the kayak, and I began paddling. I paddled and paddled and paddled until I could barely see the house that we were, that we were staying in. I was out way down there uh, casting my pole when all of a sudden, I, I checked it a little bit later, I was almost a mile away because there was a road that went around the lake, so I, I, I checked to see how far away I was. I was almost a mile away. And I'm out fishing, and I, I can't see him, but I heard him say, Papa, where are you? <laughs> Easton, Easton couldn't see where I was at, and he was wondering, you know, is grandfather drowned, you know? Is, has he caught a large fish, and it's hauled him across Lake Michigan and never to be seen again? But he wanted to know where I was at, and so... I grabbed my cell phone and I, I picked it up and I called Brother Jones and I said, hey, tell Easton to, to come out here and look for me. I said, tell him when he sees me, I'll be waving, I'll, I'll be waving uh, the, uh, the paddle up in the air. You couldn't see me just sitting on the water. I was so far away, but I took the paddle and waved. He said, is that really you? I said, yes, it's really me. And I said, you know what is more amazing than that? I said, I can hear every word that you were screaming all the way across this lake. It really does work. Water works as a great microphone. And so Jesus had all these people out here. And, and he's using the water as a microphone. But what he is doing is he is not speaking in some deep theological terminology to wow the crowd into how much he knows. He's, he's, he's speaking to them, the Bible says, in parables or in word pictures, in stories, things that they can relate to. You know, I, I'm not nearly as impressed with how, how much somebody knows, especially if they're talking to me in terminology that I can't understand. You start talking gigabytes and megahertz and all this stuff, and man, I just go to sleep, my eyes glaze over, and you might as well just tell me good night, because that is better than Somonex to a guy like me. I, I may walk away saying, man, you're intelligent, but I have no clue what you're talking about. And so Jesus was talking to these people in parables, in, in, in word pictures, but not everybody that was there that, way, that day walks away with the same thing. To the casual observer, there's a reason that he was doing this. The Bible tells us, to the casual observer, when he was finished with his word picture, his parable, they would walk away and just say, oh, that was a nice story. But to the hungry, to the spiritually alert, they got a different story out of it completely. 
verse 34 says that Jesus only spoke to them in parables that day. And in doing so, he fulfilled a prophecy about himself as the Messiah. As the Messiah. And that prophecy read, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Everybody say hidden. Hidden. He talks about the sower and the seed. He speaks of the pearl of great price. But the parable that I want us to key on, in on today is found in verse 44 when he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden in a field. The which, when a man hath found it, he hideth it, and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. One more portion of Scripture, and I'll let you be seated. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man. I'm every man. You're every man. According to it, God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. I want to preach to you just for a short time today, value, scoffers, and rewards. Value, scoffers, and rewards. You may be seated today. I want to start by relating a story to you that, that I read about a, a coin. The man's name in the story, true story, his name is um, George Walton. His life tragically came to an end on a rainy March night in 1962, I believe it was. Yes, 1962. He was traveling down a road and he, uh, he had a collision with another vehicle. Now, the thing about George Walton was this, that George was a, he was a collector. He loved to collect things, but the things that he loved to collect the most were coins. And he had a prize coin that he had collected. He had come across at one point in his life that he valued very, very highly above all the other coins that he had. He was carrying these coins with him that day uh, when he was in the accident that took his life. And when his car uh, wrecked uh, into the other vehicle, the coins, uh, $250,000 worth of coins, uh, so they thought they had been valued at that, were scattered all across this highway. And so as the, uh, the emergency crews showed up, they began to gather the bodies, they began to gather the, the wreckage, and they began to gather the coins. They took the coins they gave them to George's family. One in particular was a nephew that he had. Uh, last name uh, was Gavin. And the nephew uh, remembered one particular coin that his uncle had told him about. It was a 1913 nickel. And the uncle had told, uh, Uncle Walton had told him uh, that the value on that coin was great. He didn't even know exactly what the value was, but he said, I'm literally sitting on a treasure with this one particular coin. The family wasn't into collecting. The family wasn't into coins. They didn't understand the value of, of such things, but, but, but they believed their uncle's words. He, he uh, impressed upon them uh, the value of that one particular 1913 coin. And the reason that this particular coin was so valuable was that there were only five of them produced in the entire world. Uh, they were actually produced not on accident, but, but uh, the way that they were produced was not entirely even legal uh, because at the point in 1913, they went from the old, uh, the old 1913 style of coins. I can't remember what they were called, uh, the type of coin that it was called. Somebody here may know a Liberty Head Nickel. That's what it was, a 1913 Liberty Head Nickel. Uh, that, that coin had been uh, stopped from production. 
And they had gone to what most of you may have in, in, a, in a closet or a drawer somewhere at home, the old buffalo nickels. Anybody have one of those sitting around? Sure. Those are pretty easy to come by. They're not got much value. I just got rid of several coins myself just uh, about a year ago. And I looked through all of them and took them to a, a dealer and had him look through some things and, and, and tell me what was valuable. My, my buffalo head nickels were not of much value. They got just a little bit. But this 1913 Liberty Head coin was one of five coins that had been minted uh, by somebody in the Treasury Department that had actually kept the mint, the, the, the casting die for, for that coin, thinking that maybe they would bring it back. And about five years after uh, they had quit making the the Liberty Head nickel, he took this mint, this, this, this die cast for that, that nickel, and he went in and he printed five 1913 Liberty Head nickels. What happened to them after that, I really don't know, but four of them were, were recovered and, uh, and were uh, in ownership of a, uh, of a collector. But one of them escaped and nobody knew where it was at. People had come up with ones that were, that were fake and tried to say that they had it, but uh, they'd all been disproven. And George Walton realized what he had in this nickel. He realized the value of what he had in this one original 1913 Liberty Head nickel. And he'd pass along the knowledge and the value of that coin to his family. He'd had it appraised by others. And others that had taken that coin said, no, this is also a fake. This is not, this is not a real Liberty Head coin. And so they called it valueless. They called it of no value whatsoever. And so George had put it away and he cherished it and he treasured it but when he died his family took it and they realized uh, by what they were told that it had no value and so they just stuck it away somewhere it, it stayed stuck away for many many years until there was a coin show where a bunch of collectors were going to be but there was going to be one particular thing that was going to be at this coin show and that was the four other liberty head nickels now the people that were there wanted to find this fifth nickel and so they put a, out a $10,000 reward for somebody if they had that nickel to bring it just to see it. But they also put a value on that nickel said, if you want to do more than just see, uh, to just show it to us, we will pay you $1 million for that nickel. Well, Gavin, the nephew, he decided he was going to make the trek. And so that's what he did. He took this nickel that he had been told was valueless by, by the so-called professionals. But his uncle, who he loved and he believed in, had told him it was worth quite a treasure. He took it to this particular show. And when he walked in, they began to look at it. And uh, as they began to study it, they looked at it and they said, this for a surety is the one missing Liberty Head 1913 nickel. And it went for $2 million. <laughs> Makes you want to go home and look through your nickels, doesn't it? <laughs> Gavin, he said, I didn't pay much attention until a gentleman asked me if I had it or I knew where it was. He said, I just couldn't shake the idea that this was an original 1913 nickel. Amen. And so he came to the realization that his dreams had come true. 
And that what his uncle had told him and what his uncle had believed, even though others had tried to devalue it, even though others had tried to say it's fake, others tried to say it's of no worth, he found in his final approach with this thing that it was worth more than he could have ever believed that it was worth. Amen. Walton understood the value of what he had found. He passed the belief on to his family. There were those that said it's worthless. It's fake. It's of no value. But someone out there was looking for what he had. Even though maybe not everybody believed in it. Even though maybe not everybody understood it. Amen. Someone was on a search for what had been hidden for over a decade. Now, what I've painted for you today is a parallel, quite honestly. I've, I've painted a picture for you in terms that we can understand in the day and the hour that we live in. We don't really talk about loaves and fishes anymore because that's not really how we operate in the 21st century. But I have just given you a word picture. It's quite the parallel to what Jesus is telling about in Matthew. When Jesus begins telling a story about heaven, he says uh, the kingdom of heaven as like as of A. And he goes on to these different parallels, but then he begins to talk about this man that's working out in a field. And he's working in this field when all of a sudden he comes across something and he realizes that it has great value. That there is a treasure that he has stumbled across. Now I don't know uh, too much about what your backgrounds are but I had a little bit of a background in farming I grew up uh, on my grandfather and my grandmother's farm I worked out there and I'll tell you this much if you're in a field there's not much out there but a bunch of dirt and if that's all there is there's not too many places to hide a treasure if you're trying to hide a treasure except for under the ground and if it's under the ground, you must be doing some digging somewhere along the way before you'll ever ex- uh, experience the thrill of finding something that is hidden. So this man, and this is not in the Bible, just, just run with me on this. He was obviously digging for something. He was maybe not searching for a treasure, but he was digging in a place that was a field and he comes across something that he realizes is of great value. There's just one problem. It's not his field. And if it's not his field, whatever's found in the field is not his property to claim. So he's got a dilemma to face. He goes back home, and I I can just overhear the conversation between him and his wife. He's telling his wife, I found something. Well, what would you find? I I don't really know what it is, but but it's it's of great value. It's of great importance. Well, you know, you've had these uh, multi-level marketing schemes before that have gone belly up. And, you know, you've tried to start this business and tried to do that. And where's it got you? You're working out in the field for the the other farmer. You know, why don't we just stick to what we know? And she's probably trying uh, to talk him out of being so excited about it, trying to steal his thunder a little bit. and, and then he goes back and says, you know what? No, no, I, I, I believe that I found something that is real uh, and, and is of great value. As a matter of fact, it, I, I'm so sure of it that I'm going to sell our house. I'm going to sell our camels. I'm going to sell your, your brand new living room uh, outfit. I'm going to sell everything that we have so, uh, so I can go buy this field. And in that field, I'll get that treasure and we'll be rich. And the wife then grabs a broom and beats him out of the house with it. But he is willing to sell everything to buy the field, not for the field's sake, but for what he's found in the field. That just makes good sense to me. 
Paul said that every man has been given a measure of faith. Now, I had no idea what Brother Christian was going to teach on this morning, but I think he just, he just, he just took the sickle and mowed down a path for me to walk through today in this message. Somebody is needing to hear what we're talking about today. Somebody needs to hear the word of the Lord today. God is trying to reach somebody today about your faith. And Paul said, every man has been given a measure of faith. And yet we look around and we see that not every man, not every person is a man of faith. We see sin running rampant. We see the effects of that sin as it touches all of us in one way or another. You can't walk out of this building today and get down to Walmart before something sinful is trying to reach out and grab a hold of you. That's the world that we live in. That's the reality that we deal with. And so not every man that has been given a measure of faith is a man or a woman of faith. It's confusing at times to understand our role. But I'd like to boil it down this morning to its very basics. We are here to help people find the buried treasure called faith. It's not within our ability to create a solution to every problem that sin has brought on this world. Because the solution is already there. Yes, it is hidden. Yes, sometimes it's hard to find. But for those that are digging, for those that are searching, Jesus said, if you hunt for me, you can find me. But you've got to be out in the field digging at something before you'll ever come across the treasure that is called faith. It's there. It's in you. The Word says it is. But finding it sometimes can be the trick. You know what faith is? Faith is building an ark before there's ever been a drop of rain. Faith is preparing for something that you have never seen happen before. We talk about a rapture. We talk about Jesus Christ coming back to take his church home. Has it ever happened before? No. Will the world look at you and point their finger at you and say, you're crazy, you're nuts. Uh, they try to devalue everything that we believe in, everything that we stand for. They try to tell you, you're crazy, you don't have anything, it's all fake. But I've come to tell you today that what I have found in Jesus Christ is as real as the people that are sitting before me today. What I feel on the inside of me the world didn't give it to me and I'm not going to ever let the world take it away from me because faith is real. I may be preparing for a day that has never come but I'm telling you this much the word of God is true and that day is coming. And so I'm going to prepare for it even though I've never seen it. Old Uncle George he believed in what he had. And even when the so-called professionals looked at it and said, can't be, there was somebody out there that knew it was. And they were hunting for it. And they were willing to pay a great price for that thing that at one point was only worth five cents. You see, you may not understand what you have inside of you. You may not understand the value of what God has given you. You may look at it and say, it's just a nickel. But somebody knows the value. Somebody's searching. Somebody's looking. Somebody's seeking. Because they realize that what you have is worth more than you could ever realize. 
Somebody came along to the nephew at one point. He said, I'll offer you $5,000 for it. To me, that's a pretty good profit. And there will be people that come along to you and what you have found and the genuine treasure that you hold. And they will try to offer you things that seem like they're of great value. Seems like you're upping yourself. This old nickel for 5000 bucks, boom, done deal. But only to find out later that $5,000 is a pittance compared to what the real value of that nickel was. Don't be willing to trade what you have for anything in this world. If you found it, hang on to it. There's a picture that hangs in our living room. Chloe and Landon were, spent the night with us last night. Chloe came in. We just had it taken a couple years ago for mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary. It's a beautiful picture of our crossing side of the family. Everybody was dressed real nice. We were standing out on some white steps up at, what's it called, something in Clark College. Lewis and Clark. Couldn't remember the first name. Lewis and Clark College. Met up there, had our pictures taken as we celebrated 50 years of them being married. It hangs on our wall as a reminder to me of somebody that didn't give up the value, somebody that didn't cash it in. Even when he was offered things that seemed to be worth more on the surface, he knew what he found. Chloe looked at that picture last night. She said, that picture needs to be updated. You see, because in the past, like 16 months, I went from being a grandfather of one to a grandfather of four. <laughs> the family, as it begins to spread out, begins to grow very, very quickly. I don't know how the... 73, did you just turn 73, Dad? Still working a job. We can, we've been trying to talk him into retiring now for, what, five, six years? And he always says, oh, about a year and a half. Next year we'll ask him again. Oh, probably about a year and a half. <laughs> How long till you retire, Dad? How long till you retire? About a year and a half. <laughs> I figured out why he keeps working is because Christmas every year at their house gets more and more expensive. They still give us the same amount. I feel bad taking it. I'm like, no, take this. And he's like, no, it's Christmas time. You take that. Or at least mom does. I don't know. Dad might be in the back. <laughs> Another grandkid? There's the man. Christmas is good. He just keeps on working. I've never seen a man with a better work ethic than my father-in-law. I honor him today. I honor my mother-in-law. I honor my, my mother that's here today beautiful patriarchs and matriarchs of our family that have led the way. You see, a long time ago, they began to talk to me about the value that they had found in Jesus Christ. There were others that said, nah, don't worry about that. Come over here and do this. And for a time, I believed them. For a time, I was sucked into that. For a time, but I had an aunt my mother's twin. And when my mom got tired and weary of praying for her wayward son, and she would say, I just feel like giving up, Aunt Brenda would say, if you give up, I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to continue to pray and I'm going to hold him up before the Lord. 
30 some odd years ago, you'd have never believed that that wayward, I don't know what to call myself. I wouldn't even like me back then. If I were to meet myself today, I would probably punch myself in the nose. <laughs> the things I did and the way I treated folks and the life I lived. But somebody kept telling me, this is real. This is real. You're buying into some fake stuff. And it took me a while to figure out that they were right. But once I did, and I saw the true value of living for God, the picture on the wall is a testimony to the value of holding true and holding on to something that is precious. You might have to dig a little bit. You see, the parable I'm speaking to you today, the story I'm telling you today, the Word of God that I'm teaching to you today, some of you will walk out and you, you will not receive it the same way that somebody that is hungry for this lifestyle receives it. I'm telling you there's safety in it. Would you stand with me today?